Hi and welcome. This is The Woman Who Bring to Life What's Next, a podcast series by Capgemini Invent. In this series, we explore how some of the world's most successful women leaders transform their businesses, connect humans and technology, and make a difference in the world. My name is Courtney Pace. I'm the head of strategy and private equity for Frog, a Capgemini Invent company. Today, I'm joined by Elizabeth Rector, who is the head of global client services for Visa. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Courtney. I'm glad to be here. So maybe we'll start from the beginning. Your career has been a fascinating journey from LexisNexis to Vantiv to Visa and with roles such as M&A to building businesses to running global operations and beyond. As you think back, what were the most pivotal moments in your career that brought you to where you are today? Uh, Such a good question. I think as you look back on it now, taking the roles that were really interesting to me, but quite different from what I actually knew how to do or what I was known for. They're kind of behind every major pivot that I made. Even from the earliest stages of my career, I started in finance and someone came along and offered me a sales role. I didn't know how to do sales, but I I did it, right? And then I made another shift. Like you can see these shifts now as I look back and I see the patterns, but they were all situations where I had had really no experience in the new thing I was doing, but I was really interested in it. And so that led me from finance to general management, from general management to transformation roles. I shifted industries. I took some time and worked for a nonprofit. So there were quite a few of these shifts and a lot of failure along the way. Like we don't talk enough about the times that you do that, we talk a lot about the ones that work and how they led to great things later. But a number of them actually, you know, they didn't work for whatever reason. And there is enormous learning that came from that. And then I think well-placed feedback. I think about to times when people were really courageous with their feedback at a time when I really needed it. Often it was like just after I'd made one of those pivots and things weren't going so well. And some great sponsor or mentor came by and kind of like grabbed me, metaphorically, if you will, by the shoulders and said, what is going on? Things are not going the way they need to be and helped me really think about what what I was doing more kind of critically and think about what I needed to do next. So those pivots were really important. I talked to people, I'm sure you do too, a lot of career mentoring and so forth. Now, getting people to take risks and step outside of what they know how to do, as long as they're following something that they're passionate about, that they're really intellectually curious about, it's always kind of the advice I give just based on my own experience. When you're standing on the abyss of financial services and thinking about jumping into sales, that might be nerve-wracking for some people. What was the sort of impetus that got you over the line? Was it just your passion and your excitement about the space? Yeah, it was usually a combination of things. It was like there was something in the role that I had a perspective about, that I was both interested and I had a point of view about. Even when I was early stage, you know, when I stepped into the sales career, there were things I could see about how our sales team was performing. And I thought, oh, I I think I could have a point of view about how to do that differently. So there was that, but there was always a human element of it. Like I got to go do the thing, whatever it was, with somebody that I really respected, I knew I could learn from. And so I kind of knew that was a bit like my backup plan, if you will. Like if it all went south, I knew I would get to work with a great person and come out kind of smarter through the process. And that, that invariably, that's kind of what happened, even when things didn't go exactly my way. Mm-hmm. 
And one of the things that's that struck me so much in looking at your background is just the cross-disciplinary nature of it. You've, you've touched on a lot of different things throughout your career. That's exactly right. And I, I didn't obviously set out to do that. I think if you'd asked me when I started my career, what was I going to be? I probably would have told you like a public company CFO or something. And of course, that's not at all what I ended up doing just by virtue of taking on new challenges and so forth. It just one thing kind of led to the other. And now, you know, I'm leading this amazing services organization at Visa, largely because of all of the different experiences I've had across the client experience, right? Working in those different kinds of roles and functions. And now that's the perspective I bring to this role. So, you know, it all always kind of makes sense more in hindsight. Uh, so we have the benefit of that. Amazing. So in your current role, from your vantage point, what are the biggest forces impacting the business today? Yeah, it's a really interesting time. I guess one of the things about when I transitioned into payments that I found immediately is it's always an interesting time in payments. There's never not an interesting time in payments. But particularly as we're coming now through what will be the next phase of, say, the pandemic, and you see all the trends that happen during the pandemic, all the kind of accelerated digitization of cash, and how much of those behaviors that we adopted during COVID have remained as we come out of COVID. So you think about just our buying behaviors and how much we all use e-commerce in a way that we didn't. The environment was harder and harder to go out, but a lot of those behaviors have accelerated users who never used e-commerce before. I don't know about you, but like my parents are the best example of this, right? I'm sure as we all went into the pandemic, we were we were describing to our parents, okay, like here's how you deliver groceries and here's how you order food to be delivered and all these things as this digitization of cash. And they've stayed as we've returned to what is becoming our new normal. At the same time, those experiences are getting better. Before the pandemic, we were still all using the either, you know, swipe in the past or the dip. And now we're using tap to pay. And you think now about transit and other places where those technologies are starting to work. And all of that, as we come out of, of the pandemic, is staying. So there's a lot left of space still to digitize cash in our kind of core business. But at the same time now, like travel's coming back. And we're taking all of those behaviors with us into this next phase. So as we go back to travel, we're taking this kind of more digitized commerce experience with us. And our expectations about that experience have changed while we've been during the pandemic. So it's just an enormous amount of opportunity for everyone who's in the payments industry, uh, Visa included. The interplay of technology and, and human is is super interesting in, in payments and in financial services in general. If you think about what technology has been able to do, it, it's just driven tremendous progress and created immense impact in the world from making information more readily available, bringing down costs, driving convenience, enabling all of these consumer behaviors that you were just describing. And also at the same time, when it comes to how we interact with money or finances, how we spend, how we save, how we gift, how we pay for a bill together when we go out to eat, the human element also uh, remains so, so critical. How are you thinking about the interplay of, of some of those forces? What I think about the most is how do we make sure more people have access to the digital economy, no matter 
where they live or who they are or what they know. And so one of the areas that's, I think, most interesting to me is around what's happening in small business. And especially because as you think about empowering women, how how much obviously a small business is powered by women and women owners, I think it's a really interesting space. And during the pandemic, we really saw how businesses that were enabled for e-commerce or digital commerce, how much better they fared, how much further ahead they were than, than people who were either trying to catch up really rapidly or unable to make the shift to that type of capability and business. So we're super committed, spending a lot of time and money on how do we enable a large number of small businesses worldwide, particularly women-owned businesses. And I think if we can give them access to the technology they need, we can give them the training and education around how to successfully run uh, a digital business I think we can give and provide enormous access to commerce. You know, obviously that's just one part of what we do, but I think it's a really interesting part around enabling small business. And I think the connection to Visa's mission statement is is so apt around connecting more people to the global economy and unlocking opportunities for everyone, not just large businesses, banks and governments, but small businesses and increasingly even creators and entrepreneurs and individuals. Uh, So I love that perspective. It is. And I think historically, right, we've been a network and it's really been about trying to enable as many people in the ecosystem as we can to have access to the same capabilities. So, you know, that's why in each category fuel, in this case, you think about small business, it's like, how do we systematically think about what the impediments are to access and put both the commercial side of our business as well as the foundation side of our business working in concert to try and ensure that more people have access. Beyond your passion for your work, you have a strong commitment to supporting and growing women. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the Girls Can Code program in Afghanistan, if you don't mind. Sure. So that was one of the transitions in my career. In our house, we're a two-career family. And so we relocated. And when we did so, I gave up my, what had been my traditional career, my commercial career, if you will, and went to work for a nonprofit that I had followed and thought really highly of. It's called Womanity. And they asked me to start up this program help them start up a program in Afghanistan to teach girls to code. They already had kind of an educational support system in Afghanistan at the time. And we wanted to see if we could teach coding skills, in particular web development, things that would help small business owners help girls transition out of high school and into something that they could do post-high school. And so it was a, a great experience and a really amazing team. Of course, it's a really difficult time in Afghanistan. Uh, for girls' education. So it's it's one of those situations where you can look back and see all the impact you had during the time. But in fairness, you also see the difficulties of that continuing now. But it, it was a great just pilot and test to see if we could be successful doing it there because we really felt like if we could be successful doing it in Afghanistan, it was a program that you could take really to, to many other places and make work. And so I know Humanity is working on that now. But it was it was a great experience for me. Amazing. 
throughout that and and all of your experiences to date, how how would you describe your leadership style and has it changed or evolved over time? Yeah, it definitely has changed. <laughs> it's changed a lot. So, you know, I tend to gravitate towards transformational roles. I, I guess there must be something about being fascinated by all the possibilities, you know, that come from change, you know, whether they come from clients or your competitors or just the world. I think I, I became good over time at translating those things into changes that we need to make as a business today. And so most of what I learned about leadership through that process, as you can imagine, was doing things incorrectly, doing it wrong. <laughs> and, and, you know, occasionally <laughs> as well by watching someone do it really well. And for me, like most people are probably 50-50 on that. I was probably more like 70-30. You know, it's like I learned more from making my mistakes than I did from watching great people do it well. So now I find that I try to be like empowering, accessible. I ask for input. I try and make sure that people understand that I care about them, not just at work, but in their lives. I still like structured approach. I'm clear expectations. I try and invest in giving a lot of feedback and encouragement, um, particularly to people to try new things, as we talked about from a career perspective. But I'm still learning to be clearer. I think I'm super clear. <laughs> I'm sure you feel that way sometimes too. You think you're super clear, but you're not always as clear as you need to be. I'm more disciplined in my execution. But one thing I see over time that I guess the benefit of age is I used to kind of have these two personas, you know, the one that was like, I'll call it the real me, the me at home with friends. And then there was the me at work. And the me at work was like, boy, she was driven and she was, she pushed hard to make things happen and she was strident. And I think what's gotten easier over time with perspective is to just integrate those things in a way that make me hopefully ultimately more <laughs> human and relatable and more compassionate. I was always compassionate, but I think those are the sides that I maybe kept into my kind of personal persona. I didn't bring them as much into my professional persona. So like, I certainly would look back and tell myself, well, that's something I, I, I should have figured out maybe a bit earlier in my career. Mm -hmm. That resonates so much. We talk a lot at Frog about bringing your whole self to work. And, and when I started, I not only didn't bring my whole self to work, but I actually kind of thought that they were meant to be bifurcated. I had to kind of break down that belief first before I could even think about aiming to do that. But in my experience as well, it's been one of the degrees of difference that's made one of the largest differences for me, at least. It's great advice to people to just start that way. It'll be a lot easier for you. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about, about risk-taking, bringing your whole self to work, any other advice you might give to younger women who are looking to develop or, or hone their own leadership styles? Yeah, it's a great question. I do think risk-taking and having the right people in your sphere to kind of encourage and push you to do that. I think really seeking feedback and making it easy for people to give that feedback to you is super important. And if you're a people leader like there probably is nothing more important than honing your ability 
to take your feedback and deliver it in a way that's consumable and useful for the user, if you will. And I think that's hard. I think we see what's what what we need to say and what the feedback is, but we don't always deliver it in a way that's really easy to use. And so I would just say on the feedback side, I think that's probably the most important part on both sides, whether you're a people leader or you're the person kind of receiving the feedback is if you're not getting it, by definition, it's really hard to grow at the same pace as people who are. So it's just a really important component in your career. Great advice. When you look back years from now, what do you hope your legacy will be? Do you know, I don't think a lot about that question. I probably should. (laughs) But it has to be that the people you interacted with, whether those people are clients or those people are people you work with or they work for you, that you see them flourishing. You know, you see them better for the decisions you made, for your interactions with them, you know, long after you've gone on to do something else. So I think that would be it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in the world that's inspiring you today or, or are there things that you're passionate about outside of the office? When you asked me the question about girls can code and we talked about how, you know, we sometimes compartmentalize our lives. So, so one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, since I came back from that role, I started with Visa. It's, you know, how it is at work. It can be an all-consuming thing. And so now I'm thinking about what is what is the next place that I'm going to give a kind of material amount of time and money Uh, And it still comes back to me, to girls' education, girls, especially in STEM or in and around STEM. So I just haven't quite found that space yet. So if anybody's out there and they have a great idea for me, I'm ekrector at visa.com. Send me an email and uh, I'm all ears. Because I definitely feel the need to have both of those aspects in in my life at the same time, not like do one and then stop and then do the other, which is a little bit been the way I've done it. So we'll see what we get, Courtney. And if not, I have no doubt that you'll start something incredible in this space yourself. So either way, greatness awaits. Hopefully so. Hopefully (laughs) so. Any last asks or or thoughts for those who may be listening Uh, Any knowledge of inspiring companies for women education in the STEM space? Anything else that that we can do to help support some of the areas in which you're passionate? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. I think this area of small business and women entrepreneurs, I think, is a really interesting space. And whether you engage in it from a perspective of commerce or technology and enablement or whether it's coaching, and advice giving in the lessons that you have. There's so much downstream benefit, not just a benefit to the woman leader, but downstream benefit to the people who buy her services or her products, to so many other benefits that come from that. I do think that's a really interesting space for us as business leaders to invest our time and talents 
So I'd encourage people to check it out. We have a program at Visa. It's an important one, but it may not be the one that inspires all of you listening. But I would just find a place in that space to get involved. Amazing. Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon. It has been an incredibly inspiring conversation. So thank you for sharing your thoughts and for all that you are doing for all of us to make the world a better place. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Courtney. It's so great to meet you. 